You guys may be seated. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter uh, again this morning. We're starting in chapter 5, and uh, we'll look at the first seven verses of chapter 5 together today. I hope to wrap this series up next week, and we'll kind of finish up uh, 1 Peter, and then we'll move on uh, in our studies together. But uh, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, the first seven verses in um, Peter has talked to us last week about the, the purpose of suffering and how that God takes us through trials and he takes us through um, different kinds of, of fires, those fiery trials he talked about last week that prepare us and mature us and make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and we talked about the fact that those fires are necessary, that it's through suffering that you and I are, are, are purified, it's through suffering that you and I are, are sanctified and made more and more like the Lord. And as much as we want to jump out of the fire, sometimes the best thing we can do is to let God do his work through the fire. And so now he comes back and he wants to encourage the, um, the leaders of the church. And he starts off talking to the elders of the church. And, and he uses the, the term elders, plural. Uh, and anytime we see the, the term elder used in scripture, uh, referring to this body of, of leaders, it's always in the plural. Uh, they had multiple people that came in and helped to lead the church, and that was always by design. I think it was by God's design that, that one person wouldn't just run everything, but that there would be a group of people that come together and bring their gifts and, and bring the, the, the strengths that God's given to them and add to this, this leadership body. And so he, uh, Peter writes to the elders, and he begins in this chapter uh, writing to them. He's going to write to them as their equal, and I want us to see that in verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder. So here is Peter. He is an elder in the church. He is a, a leader of the church. And he says, I'm writing to those of you who are fellow elders. And so even in the, in the first few words of this passage, we see the, the humility of Peter. He was an apostle. He was, he was a guy that had walked with Jesus. He had, he had been through a lot with Christ. He had seen Jesus do tons and tons of things. He was even a part of of denying Jesus and being restored to Jesus and, 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 and then Peter preaching that great sermon. But Peter doesn't come and speak to the elders as this huge authority over them, but he speaks to them as a co-laborer. He says, I, I address you, elders, I exhort you. It means to, to urgently and emphatically uh, urge you to do something. So he's speaking as a fellow elder, as one who comes alongside of them, one who is, 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 is doing the same type of thing that he's about to encourage them to do. And he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So here is one elder speaking to the other elders, trying to encourage and exhort, to, to urge them to do something that's going to be valuable for the kingdom of God. And so he says, I, I come to you as a fellow elder. I also come to you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter saw what Jesus went through. He was there in the garden. We, we sometimes forget that, that we read the book of 1 Peter, but this is the dude that was in the garden when Jesus was arrested. He's the one that pulls the sword and swings it and cuts off the ear of the servant. He's the one that, that, that's standing outside while Jesus is put on trial, and, and he's the one that denied Jesus, that he even knew him three different times. And he did all that right after he told Jesus, I'll never, ever walk away from you. I'll never, ever deny you. I'll never, ever, I, I will die with you, Jesus. And then came the fire. And it revealed Peter's, Peter's lack. Peter's, his heart wanted to, but his flesh didn't have what it took yet. Peter was there, he saw as a witness, a first-hand eyewitness of the sufferings of Jesus. 
But not only did Peter see the sufferings of Jesus, he was also what he refers to here, here as, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So Peter is speaking to them as their equal. He says, listen, guys, we are, we are all striving for the same thing. We are all elders in this, in this, in this kingdom of God. We are called to, to serve those that, are, that God's placed under us. And, and Peter is quick to, to make sure that the, the terminology that he uses is consistent with this humility that he's displaying here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter comes back and begins the second book, the second letter, with some of those same type of attitudes. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter could have pulled out the authority card. He could have said, let me command you what you need to do, but he doesn't do that at all. In fact, what Peter's going to do is he's going, he, he's, the way he's writing here is, is fixing to, to be explained in, 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 in the instructions that he's going to give. He's actually modeling that for them even as he gives them these instructions. So back in, in 1 Peter 5, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm a fellow elder, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I'm a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter had been given a glimpse of that glory, if you remember. When, when, when Jesus was uh, with the disciples, he pulled off Peter, James, and John, took them up high on the mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and there Jesus was transfigured, and Peter got a glimpse of this glory that is yet to come. He, he got to see Jesus in all of his glory. Jesus visiting there with, with Elijah and with Moses on that mountain. And, 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 and it says Peter and them were terrified. They didn't know what to think. And all Peter could do was just let his mouth start running like it always did. And Peter said, Jesus, I think I got a great idea. We're going to build three tents, one for you and one for Moses and, 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 and one for Elijah. And then this voice from heaven shows up and, and just this, this booming voice, if you can imagine, of God's. And God basically says to Peter, stop talking. Listen to my son. I don't need you to talk, Peter. I, I need you to, to listen. Take this in. You're getting a glimpse of glory. Peter writes about that glory in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, just a few verses later from what we just read. But verses 16 through 18, he writes about this. He never forgot that glimpse of glory. And, and, and he's hinting at that here in, in, in 1 Peter, but he talks about it specifically in 2 Peter. He says um, in, in 2 Peter 1, 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses, there he is again, eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's just said we're eyewitnesses of his suffering, but we're also eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from the heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter got a glimpse of glory there before Jesus went back to be with the Father. But, but here Peter says there's even more of that glory that's going to be displayed. And so Peter is a, a fellow elder. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But he's also this partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. So he's going to exhort his fellow elders. He's going to emphatically encourage them to do something. What is it that he's calling the elders to do? 
We've got church leaders, we've got deacons, we've got elders, we've got Sunday school teachers, small group leaders. This is, this is part of what we are called to do as leaders of the church, and here it is. So he exhorts them in verse 1. Verse 2, he tells them what he's exhorting them to do, and here it is. I'm exhorting you, he says, to shepherd the flock of God. And let's be clear, whose flock is this? It's God's. The church does not belong to the pastor. It does not belong to elders. It does not belong to deacons or small group leaders. This church is not ours. This church is his. The people that God brings to this church are, are God's sheep. They are a part of God's flock. And so he's saying right up front, I want you to shepherd God's flock that is among you. Well, how do you shepherd God's flock? What does that mean? Well, the, the term to shepherd a flock is, is, is uh, not a very flattering uh, description. Of all the animals that God could have chosen to picture his people, the, the sheep were probably not the most flattering of all the animals he could have picked. He could have called us lions, and we would have thought, man, we are strong and we are brave and we can conquer. We are king of the jungle. But God goes the other direction, and he says, my people are like sheep and church leaders you are called to shepherd those sheep so what, what are sheep like well sheep require meticulous care sheep are unable to just care for themselves they there's a lot of maintenance a lot of care a lot of work that goes into doing that sheep tend to get lost easily they wander off scripture says Isaiah says that we are all like sheep and we have all gone astray and followed our own ways. And, and then the, the, the interesting thing about a sheep is that, that other animals can wander off. Have you ever tried to get rid of a cat? I don't care if you take that to the next parish. It's going to find its way back. Some animals just have this instinct of being able to find their way back. Sheep do not. Sheep wander off and they look up and all of a sudden, man, they don't know where they are and they don't know where they need to be. That's just the nature of sheep. They're not the smartest animals in the world. They wander off. They can't find their way back. They need somebody to guide them. They need somebody that can provide for them, somebody that can protect them. And when they get in trouble, they need somebody that can rescue them. Those are things that shepherds are called to do, to guide and to protect and to provide and to rescue. Uh, sheep, I was reading about some sheep this week as I was trying to study up on this passage and understand it a little bit better. Sheep can't even clean themselves. That, that this, this wool that sheep do, it produces an oily substance that makes their, their wool even sticky, which means that the, the dirt and all the grime and all the stuff just tends to stick to them, and they're not even able to clean themselves. I, as I was reading about it, some pretty gross stuff, but, but if, if, if a sheep is not taken care of, even the, the wool around their tail becomes matted, and they cannot excrete their own stuff. And they get sick and they die. Shepherd's responsibility is to trim around the tail so that they can poop. You go, man, that's gross. Sometimes ministry is gross. Let's just be honest. Sometimes caring for other people re requires us to do things that, that you go, ooh, I don't know that I want to do that. And, and it's not just the image of sheep, but, but Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You're going, that's, that's pretty lowly. That's pretty gross and yet jesus says as i've done for you now you go and do for others sheep couldn't clean themselves sheep are naturally passive defenseless against their enemies and their predators 
But one thing Jesus made clear about sheep is that sheep need shepherds. Sheep need shepherds. Remember one day Jesus was, was walking with, with the disciples and he looks out at the crowd and it says Jesus saw the crowd. Man, he, Matthew 9, 36. Let's look at that real quick. Uh, Jesus looked out at the crowd and he, he saw them as helpless. In 9.36, Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus saw these crowds that, that didn't have anybody to lead them, anybody to care for them, anybody to pro- provide for them, protect them, to rescue them. They didn't have that. And, and, and these crowds, Jesus, when he looked at them, he didn't condemn them for that. He saw them as sheep, and he says, these guys need a shepherd. And after that's when he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are free. We need to pray that, that God will send out people into the workforce, into the, into, the, into the fields. What they need is shepherds, but not shepherds who are in it for themselves, but shepherds who are in it to follow the Lord. And so he, he describes that, that what sheep need here are, are shepherds in First Peter. And here's something interesting about the shepherds. The shepherds that God calls to lead his sheep in the church are also sheep. There's nothing different about your pastor or your deacons or your elders than you. We, we all have the same struggles. We all have the same temptations. We all have the same, the same desires that we battle and that we, we, we try to put to death. It's interesting to me that, that, that God, by his own design, by his own understanding, has called some to lead. But they're sheep that are called to be a shepherd, but they're still sheep as well. We don't magically stop being sheep when God calls us to be leaders. And, and, and yet we are called to, to try to lead. And so he, he calls the, the church leaders to, to be shepherds, to, to be caretakers of the, of the body of Christ. But we're human too. And we fall short and we don't always get it right. Now good shepherds end up smelling a lot like sheep. When Jesus was born and it was announced to the shepherds out in the fields that the Messiah had been given, those guys smelled like sheep. Good shepherds smell like sheep because they're up close. They're personal. They're, they're taking care and tending to the needs of those sheep. They're, they're, they're exercising oversight, which is what Peter says here. And, and in order to exercise oversight over sheep, you've got to get up close and personal. And you've got to, you've got to handle the sheep. And you've got to love the sheep. And you've got to, you're there next to them. And that, that oily stuff that's over them gets on you. And you begin to smell like them. So good shepherds smell a lot like sheep because they spend a lot of time with sheep. They live up close. They live up personal. Good shepherds know how to love sheep and how to lead their sheep. And Jesus says a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. So when Jesus saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd, it says he had compassion. He knew that they were helpless and they were harassed. 
because there was no shepherd there to care for them. And so Peter says to the elders of the church, to the leaders of the church, he says, I want you to shepherd the flock of God. And I want you to do that by exercising oversight, to, to give careful attention to their needs, careful attention to, to, to what is, is needed by them. And, and the only way to do that is to be up close and, and, and be personal with them. Jesus never stood off from the crowd. Jesus touched lepers. He touched those with disease. He healed those. He ministered to those. He didn't stand off at a distance as other gods in that day would have done. But Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we are to be good shepherds, then we have got to do that same thing. We have got to to dwell among the people. We've got to, to, to serve the people. We've got to get up close and personal. And so here he's talking about the need for shepherds. And he says, elders, you are the ones that are called. You are the ones that are, that are, are, are equipped by God as church leaders to be those shepherds. And so he calls us to do so. And he says, I, I call you to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Do it by exercising oversight. And now he's going to give us three contrasts here of what not to do and, and then what to do. The attitudes that we're to have toward that. And, and he's talking about our responsibility toward the sheep. But then he also comes back and says, there's a responsibility that sheep have to the shepherds. And so he's going to cover both of those here. So he says, here's how you exercise oversight. It, it, it's not the way the world does it. So he says here, the first one is not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Now we need to, to probably back up here and, and go back to another event in Peter's life to get a, an understanding of how well Peter understood what it meant to be a, a shepherd. Remember, Peter has denied Jesus right after the garden. Jesus is on trial. Peter denies him three different times. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he comes back to Peter to restore Peter. Y'all remember that, 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 that encounter? Peter, do you love me? What does Peter say? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. And what was Jesus' response? Peter, then feed my sheep. You can look it up in John 21, but it's John 21, verses 15, 16, and 17. And three different times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Well, then feed my sheep, shepherd my people. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Well, then, Peter, I want you to shepherd my sheep. Sometimes it says feed or tend. It's that, that image of shepherding my sheep. And what does God, Jesus, equate that to? Shepherding my sheep, Peter, is loving me. You say you love me, then you take care of my sheep. And so Peter understands this connection between loving God and, and shepherding his sheep. And we shepherd the sheep out of our love for God. So he said here, it's not under compulsion. It's not this, this, this outward pressure on you to do it. You don't do it because there's outward pressure. Pastors don't, don't shepherd their people because they're afraid the elders will fire them or, or the deacons will rise up or the people will have a business meeting. That's not the, the motivation that we have for serving. He says, don't do it out of this compulsion. Don't do it out of fear or don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of this outward uh, obligation, but do so willingly. So it's not an external pressure, but it's an internal motivation. It's not out of guilt, but it's, it's by grace that we do it. 
It's, it's not because we're afraid. It's because we love. It's not that I feel some obligation. But I see this as an opportunity to live out my love for Christ. Maybe the best way to say it is this. It's not a got to, but it's a get to. You know the difference between those? Well, I got to go to church today. (laughs) Or is it, I get to go to church today. Well, I've got to go serve somebody, that gummit. Or, you know what? I get to go serve somebody. You see the difference in the heart? And that's what he's saying. We, we serve and we give oversight to the flock that's under our care, not because we have to, but because we get to. We do it not by this external motivation, this pressure of if I don't, I'm going to look bad, or if I don't, I'm going to lose my job, or if I don't, they're going to do this or this or this to me. But we do it because it's inside of us. It's, it's been given to us, this, this great love, this great grace, this great service by the, 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 the chief shepherd who has laid down his life for us. And so what do we do in return? We desire to lay down our life and serve others. We don't do it because we have to out of compulsion, but we do it willingly, gratefully. And then he adds, as God would have you. That's the attitude that God would have you to to demonstrate as you begin to serve other people. So that's the first one. Don't do it under compulsion, but do it willingly. And and really, that's what God calls us to do in in all of our areas of life. In in stewardship, when he calls you to tithe, he says, I don't want you to tithe just because you feel like you have to. I want you to be a cheerful giver. I want you to to give back to the Lord because you realize that everything you have has come from him. And, And the same thing in our ministry to others. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because, you know what? God has blessed me so much. And if I can be that kind of a blessing to somebody else, then that's what I want to do. And that's how I want to live. The second thing he says here is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The false prophets of that day would take advantage of their people. Man, they would say, well, you know, if you want this, then you've got to give me that. And you, know, and, 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 and you just need to surrender everything to me. And you need to do this and this and this. And it was all about building up the leader. He says that's not the way that a leader operates. Not a godly leader, not a godly shepherd. You don't do it for, for, for this shameful or this selfish gain. It's not about selfishness, he says. It's about selflessness. It's not about what I get, but it's what I can give. It's not about being a consumer, but it's about being a contributor. It's not about taking but it's about giving. And and sometimes as leaders, there's that temptation to measure. What am I getting out of this? And and, and those that that, that build me up and those that give to me and those that take care of me and those that love me, man, I want to be quick to serve them. But maybe not this one because they, they don't do much for me. That's not the way a shepherd looks at it. It's not the way the shepherd does it. You don't do it for shameful gain, but you, you, you do it eagerly. So not selfish, but sacrificial. And then the third thing he says in verse 3, is not domineering over those in your charge, 
but being examples to the flock. So not domineering over those. He talks about in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Let me share this with you. He talks about the the Gentile world. Jesus talking to the disciples, he says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. There's that lording over, that domineering over. That's what the world does, he says. That's what the the great leaders of the world will do. But it should not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's he saying? Those that shepherd for Jesus reflect Jesus. They, they, they don't reflect the, the, the models of this world. And I think this is where our churches uh, today have, have gotten off track is that we've taken all these business models. We've taken all these, these things that the world has done and we've tried to baptize them into Christianity and make them sound religious. And well, if this works and, and, and you can take a business and make it a fortune 500 business by operating this way, then if we did that for the church, it'd be great. But Jesus says the way the world operates and the way the church should operate are not the same. It should not be that way in the church, Jesus says. It doesn't mean that we don't need business sense. It doesn't mean that we don't operate with good stewardship and and, and those types of things. But the heart attitude of a leader is not to dominate, not to rule over those that are there. He says not lording over, but lifting up. It's a big difference. A, A shepherd... Is not called to lord over his people, but he's called to lift them up, to encourage them, to build them up, to help them to see that they can do more than they can do, to, to, to lift them up. He says here, it's not by intimidation, but it's by inspiration. You don't lord over them, you don't domineer over them, but you set the example. It's a big difference between intimidation and inspiration. It's not by creating fear in them, but it's helping to create faith in them. It's not just through tough love, but it's through a tender type love that we lead our people. And sometimes that's easier said than done. He says, don't domineer over those in your charge, but be an example to them. You know the difference between a rancher and a, and a shepherd? Ranchers drive cattle. They get behind them, yeah, 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 and they're driving them. Shepherds lead their sheep. For the, the godly shepherd, you don't drive your people. Can't force you to have a quiet time. I can't even I check on you every day. What are you reading? What are you doing? I can't, I can't force that heart change in you. But as a leader, we can step out front and we can model it, hoping that you see it, hoping that, that it inspires you, that, it, that it's an example that's worthy of you following. That's, that's what a real leader does. Weak leaders domineer 
out of their insecurity. Strong leaders just get out front and lead. They set the example. They're, they're, they're prepared in season and out of season to give a reason for the faith that they have, to encourage and inspire faith in other people. And that's what a leader does is to, to do that. And they do so in a tender way, caring for their sheep. And when one strays, they go after them. And they lovingly restore them to the flock. That's what a shepherd does. So Peter's advice, his, his exhortation here is, is that you shepherd the flock that's among you. You exercise this tender oversight, not because you have to, but because you're willing. Not for what you get out of it, but because of what you can give to others. And not by domineering over them, but by being an example to the flock. He says, if you do this, leaders, there's a promise And that is that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now notice the term, chief shepherd. What does that mean? That means that we as shepherds are not the shepherd. We are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd. We've been enlisted by Christ to shepherd his people, his flock, in a way that lines up with him. He is the chief shepherd. He is the one that we will give an account for. He is the one that we will stand before and that we will have to give an account for what we've done and how we've done it as a leader. And he says, but if you'll lead faithfully and you'll, you'll do so in a biblical way, then when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus returns, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory, an eternal reward for what you've done. So there's reward. There's sacrifice, but there's reward. There's service, but there's reward. And so we serve the Lord knowing that there's more to come. When shepherds lose sight of all that Christ has done for them, it's easy for us to operate from external motivations instead of internal. It's easy to use guilt instead of grace. It's easy to use fear instead of love or to serve out of an obligation instead of seeing it as an opportunity. It's also easy when you lose sight of what Christ has done for us to begin to serve yourself and not others. To prefer to be served instead of serving. And there's that temptation to take instead of giving. There's also the temptation to lord over, to intimidate instead of inspire. And, and all those things tend to creep into leadership when we lose sight of what Jesus has done for us. And perhaps that's why early in this passage, Peter talks about the sufferings of Christ. He wants us to remember what Christ went through for us. This shepherd who laid down his life for us. And now we're called to be that good shepherd who may not lay down our physical life, who may not take our last breath, sacrifice for somebody else. But every day, every day, we lay down our life in order to serve other people. You set aside your agenda 
to do what God's agenda calls. We, we set aside, we die to ourselves in order to live for Christ. So maybe that's why Peter reminds us early on of the sufferings of Jesus, that he was an eyewitness to that. We can't ever afford to lose sight of all that Jesus has done to rescue us and to make us his. And just like our example ought to, to inspire those under our care, Christ's example ought to inspire some things in us. It ought to provide us with our motivation, an example for us to follow, inspiration for us to get up and to do it again tomorrow. So he talks in this passage about the responsibility of shepherds to the sheep. But he also talks about this responsibility of sheep to the Lord and to the shepherds that God's placed over them. I think the first example of this or the first sign of this is is back in verse 3 where he says that the, the, the shepherd is to be an example to the flock. Well, why would you be an example to somebody in hopes that they would what? That they would follow you. That they would imitate you. Paul would say, you know, you, you follow me as I follow Christ. And, and, and that's the desire of any leader. is, is not that, that they gather a big following that, that follows them and glorifies them and, and builds them up and makes them into some, you know, rock star kind of thing. That's not the desire of a pastor or of a shepherd. But the desire of a shepherd is that the sheep will follow him because he is taking them from good pasture to good pasture. He is helping them to be safe and secure and to grow and to mature. And the pastor's desire is that as he leads, his people will follow. And there's a clear responsibility here, even in this passage, for those who are being led to willingly follow. And so he says in verse 5, as he shifts gears here, he says, Likewise, you who are younger. So he's talked about the elders. And now he's saying, okay, to the rest of you. To the rest of you. Those who are younger, be subject to the elders. Well, we don't like that word. Peter's already used it several times in this book. We don't like the idea of coming under somebody's authority. We don't like the idea of having to, 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 to follow somebody else's leadership. But there's a clear call here in this passage for those who are sheep to, to follow the shepherds. Now, that puts a great responsibility on the shepherd. You better make sure that where you're going is where you need to be going. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews says this, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Make their job a joy. Not something that they groan about having to do. Here's the responsibility of sheep. He says, follow the shepherd. Be, be, be subject to them. In other words, go, go where they lead you. Now, now, we need to exercise some discernment, don't we? As believers, we are called to take what's taught, to take where a leader wants to go and say, is this scriptural? Is this biblical? Is this going to fulfill the great commandment? Is this going to help the church to fulfill its mission? And if it is, then we need to follow the one that's leading us that way. And if it's not, then we need to find another shepherd. 
When a shepherd stops leading in the direction that God has called the, the church and God's people to go, then that shepherd is a false shepherd. And, and, and the sheep should flee. And Jesus talked about that as well, didn't he? That, that those who are of his fold, of his flock, will listen to his voice and follow. But if another comes and calls a different voice, a different direction, the sheep should run. So we, we need to be familiar with God's word. And, and, and then as, as it's taught and as it's explained and as, as the shepherd leads and models and sets an example, then others should follow in that willingly. So there's a responsibility there to do that, to submit, to come under their care and their leadership. There's also another call here. He says, so likewise, you who are younger, all the rest of you, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. This is leaders and, and, and sheep, all of us together. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Peter's just modeled that. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Jesus. I got a glimpse of the glory of God, but, but, but you and I are equal, and we're all going to see this glory. We can all understand the sufferings. We are all called to, to lead. All of us together exercise. Clothe yourselves, this picture of, of clothing your whole body, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's what Peter's saying to the church, to, to those who are sheep. Exercise humility toward one another. Value others more than you value yourself. As, as your leader shows you what it is to, to lay down and to serve, you ought to be doing that same thing. You ought to be considering others more valuable than yourself. You ought to be serving with that same mindset and with that, that same eagerness, with that same willingness and that, 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 that same example that you're setting for others. Shepherds, set the example for the sheep. But sheep, set the example for those coming behind you. Every one of us are at different spiritual levels. And, and all of us have people that are, that are farther along than we are. And all of us have people that, are, that, are, that are, are a little bit farther behind where we are. And Peter's saying that as, as a sheep, you've got a responsibility to set an example too. And that is to live with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So likewise, just as your shepherds have done... You also do this. And then he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So he's called you to humble yourself under your leader, to humble yourself toward one another, but ultimately to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That hand that feeds you, that hand that protects you, that hand that leads you and guides you, the, the chief shepherd who is over the shepherds, who is the one that is ultimately responsible for you, humble yourself under him. Come under him so that, here's the reason, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humility brings exaltation. Humble yourself so that God can exalt you. Don't grow proud because then you're in opposition to God. We grow proud when we think, I don't need anybody to lead me. I don't need anybody to shepherd me. I don't need anybody to, 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 to make it through life and to do what I want to do. I am my own. 
That's pride. And God opposes that. Shepherd, set the example. And then watch your sheep begin to follow. Sheep, look at that example. And then begin to imitate that in your relationship with one another. So submit, be clothed with humility. Submit yourself to God, trusting him to provide and protect, but also to discipline you and to bring you in line with his will. And then he says this in verse 7. Casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's something that happens when we put ourselves under God's authority. We realize how much he loves us and that there's no limit to what he would do for us. Within the confines of his perfect will, there's no limits. We've got passages like Psalm 23 that remind us that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have to be afraid. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. I've come under his lordship, under his leadership, under his protection, under his care. What is there to be afraid of? God's not like our earthly shepherds who can fail us and disappoint us and come up short. That's not the God that we serve. When we, when we come under his mighty hand, we are not only protected, but we are provided for. And that should remove all anxiety. He's saying, trust your shepherd, not just this earthly shepherd, not just your pastor, or your deacons, they are, they're going to let you down, but come under the mighty hand of God, submit to your earthly leaders, trusting that God knows what he's saying, but ultimately come under God's mighty hand, casting all of your cares, all of your anxieties on him. Here's what he's saying. I want you to relinquish all reservations. Go all in. Don't hold back. You know, here, here's, here's, I'm going to be honest. When it comes to total surrender to the Lord, there's times that just makes me really, really nervous. We talked last week about going through the trials and going through the fires and going through all that. And, and as I, I studied and prepared and prepared my heart for that message and even coming out of that message thinking, Lord, am I really willing to say, Lord, anything that you want to do with me, any fire I need to go through, any trial that you think I need to walk through to mature me, I'm ready and I'm willing, that scares me. But Peter says it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Cast all of your anxiety upon him. Knowing, without a doubt, that he cares for you. That he's going to see to it that what is best for you is what happens. Even if it's a fire, even if it's a trial. Peter's writing again to people fixing to go through persecution. And he's saying, when you face that stuff and you feel this anxiety begin to, to well up in you, cast that anxiety off. Put it on the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't guarantee anything, but I know you will. 
I know you'll take care of me. Through the trials, through the fires, through the persecution, through everything that they're about to face, cast all of your cares upon him. We talked about last week how that when we go through trials, sometimes that may be going to work and somebody at work asking you to compromise and to do something that, that you know is not right. And, and you know that if you say no and you don't, you don't participate in that, it could cost you your job. And that creates anxiety. Oh, my gosh, I could lose my job. He says, cast that anxiety, that worry upon him, knowing that he's your provider, not that employer that he will take care of you, that you are his sheep, and that he is called to give oversight to you, to be involved in the details of your life. Trust him, for he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety upon him. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 Verse 5, he says, hey, the Lord's near. Okay, let's get that clear. The Lord's right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Put it in his hands. Be anxious about nothing. Put, put everything in his hands. And look at the result. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, surpasses anything that our minds can even begin to comprehend, this peace of God. It will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Is that the kind of peace that you want to experience? Is that the kind of peace that your heart desires to know that no matter what comes, you're going to be okay? That no matter what comes, God's going to take care of you? That no matter what this, this, this week throws at you, that when the anxiety begins to build, if you'll cast it upon the Lord, he will replace that anxiety with his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That only comes, guys, when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Let me close with one of the verses out of Psalm 55. Psalm 55, 22. Look at what the psalmist says. He says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He will establish you. He will not let you be shaken. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to cast all of our care upon him. And the only way that we'll do that is if we really believe that he cares for us. What more could God do to demonstrate that he cares for you than what he's already done? What's it going to take to convince us that if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. That if he's my shepherd and he cares for me, that if I will just follow him and come under his mighty hand through obedience, 
He'll care for me. And he'll provide for me. And he'll protect me. So I think the real issue here is who are we looking to to be our provider and our protector? Peter says, listen, through the storms of life, God's going to give you some shepherds, and they're going to help. But remember this, even when your shepherd fails you, you have a chief shepherd that never will. I wonder today if you have that kind of a relationship with God where you can trust him completely. Do you just kind of know about Jesus? Or do you have that relationship to where you've put everything in his hands? Because here's what happens. The, the greater my trust, the less my anxiety. And you want to gauge how much trust you have? Just look at your level of anxiety. Because this is what it does. The more anxious I am, the less I'm trusting. And the more I'm trusting, the less anxious that I am. So if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with, with these fears that, 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 that you just don't know what's going to happen, then, then that's showing you that your trust needs to, to increase in the Lord. And the way that that trust increases in the Lord is to, to spend time in his presence and to get to know who he really is. Get to know the promises that he's made to you. And then believe that, not just in your head, but with your heart. And come to that place, you say, Lord... You may be like that dad who, 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 who came before the Lord and said, Lord, I, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. There's still some potholes here. There's still some, some, some voids in my life. Help me to, to fill those with trust in you. And that's the way God gets us through these things. Whether it's suffering, persecution, trials, fires. So we put our faith and our trust in him. As shepherds, we want to help you through those moments. But there's a responsibility you have as well to trust and to come under his hand and to believe what he said, to trust and obey. And in that process, there is perfect peace. Let's pray together. God, there may be folks here today who still don't have that, that intimate, personal relationship with you. And maybe right now where they sit, they would cry out to you and say, God, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of trust. I want to be able to follow you through the fires, through the trials, through anything that comes. But God, I need your help right now. If you've never asked Jesus to, to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you his child, that's where it all starts. That's when you become one of his sheep. And that's when he becomes your shepherd. So maybe right now you'd say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I need a shepherd. I've gone astray. And I don't know how to find my way back home. Jesus comes looking for you. He leaves the 99. And he comes after the one. And maybe today you're that one. Would you call out to him? And ask him to be your shepherd. And trust that he will provide everything that you need from this moment forward.